Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to share with you this morning. And the topic of what I want to share this morning is tea of grace. And I, I'm, not, I'm not a preacher. We're going to have a conversation. I'm going to talk to you this morning. And I'd love to talk to spaces. So if, it's at, if it is at all possible, I know some of you, depending on where you are, may not be able to put your video on. But if at all possible, please put your video on. Because I want to look into some cases this morning. So the topic is tea of grace. Thank you, Pastor. And the scripture I want to read from this morning is Ephesians 1, 5 to 7. And it reads, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. So the meaning of grace, grace has a number of meanings, but the, the ones I want to focus on this morning is favor. That is one of the meanings of grace. And the Greek word for grace is charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. And the Hebrew word for grace is chen, C-H-E-N. And the root of that word is chanan, C-H-A-N-A-N. And chanan means to bend or stoop in kindness to another as a superior to an inferior. So as it concerns God's grace towards us, consider God stooping down to us in his kindness to reach us in our time of need and convey upon us a benefit. And grace is different from mercy. Oftentimes we hear grace and mercy. Mercy is an expression of God's compassion towards us. Grace is kindness translated into action that releases his enabling power into our lives. So in other words, mercy is God being compassionate and not giving us what we deserve because of our sins. But grace is God giving us what we do not deserve or we cannot earn. And I want to I, I want to paint a picture this morning and and walk with me. There's a real estate developer named Alex, and there's a person named Chris who wants to buy a house. And remember the names of the persons. So I have it in alphabetical order. Alex comes first, and Chris is third. So Alex is a developer. Chris is the person who wants to buy a house. The house is 100,000 US, and Chris cannot afford the house. And the developer knows that Chris needs a house, but he's not in the business of charity. So in order for Chris to get this house, he has to pay for it. So enter the middleman, a broker named Brian. And Brian's father is in the business of charity. And so Brian pulls Alex aside, and he says to Alex, my father is in the business of charity, so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pay you $100,000, and you are going to give Chris this house. I know Chris can't afford it. He will never be able to buy it cash. He will never be able to even qualify for a loan to get this house. So I am going to pay you in full for this house. And so 
Brian gives Alex $100,000. And then Alex goes to Chris and gives Chris the keys to the house. And he tells him that the house is his. Nothing is owed, it's paid in full. And brothers and sisters, that is what God did for us. There was a debt of sin that we owed and we could not pay. But because of his grace, he sent his son, Jesus, to pay this debt for us. And it's not something that we could have earned. It's not something that we could have bought. It's not something that we even deserved. But he showed his grace to us. And so in that context, I'm going to read Ephesians 1, 5 to 7 again. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious, gracious, sorry, for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. So the first point I want to look at, look at as we look at the sea of grace, and for those who are listening without the, the visual, when I say sea of grace, it is S-E-A. And the first thing I want to look at is the S, which stands for saving grace. We were born in sin. Romans 5.12 says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. But because of God's love for us, he gave us his saving grace. And the problem that a lot of us have is that we act like we think we have to earn grace. And if you're not saved this morning and you're listening to me, you may think that you have to do things before you can commit your life to Jesus Christ. You have to clean up your life. That's something that a lot of people have to say. You need to work on some stuff. Or you may say, oh, I do good. I give to the poor. I give clothes to the homeless. I feed the hungry. I don't trouble people. I go to church every Sunday. I give a generous offering. I'm a good person. But that is a life from the pit of hell. There's nothing we can do to earn grace. There's nothing you can do to earn salvation. And the enemy wants to keep you in bondage with that thought. And Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that any man can boast. So salvation comes through grace and not work. Those of us who are saved, we did not earn it. Those of us who are yet to be saved, you can never earn it. And interestingly, persons this morning, you may be listening and you're not saved and you console yourself thinking that, oh, well, I'm not as bad as some people. Or you may be a Christian and you become judgmental because other people are worse than you. And so we have developed levels of sin. And if we're saved, we will become pious and holy, but we're secretly judgmental. Mm -hmm. And when we behave in an ungodly manner, we excuse it as, oh, that's just a little white lie. But we're quick to judge the homosexual or we're quick to judge the lesbian 
and we think, oh my God, oh, that's reprehensible. Or we're quick to judge the murderer and we say, my God, God must have a special place in hell for them. And we often have this term that we say, we acknowledge that others have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But in our minds, we go further than that. In our minds, we say, well, at least I don't fall as far as the rest of them. Because we begin to rank sin. And I used to be in banking. And so I'm going to use an analogy related to banking. In the risk of credit in banking, um, we use what is called a debt rating model. And a debt rating model generates what is called a borrower risk rating. So it's a DRM. If you can write, just pencil that down, DRM. And the DRM generates a BRR or a borrower risk rating. And strictly speaking, this really is in the context of business lending. For personal lending, it's a different um, principle. But for this illustration, assume that we're using the DRM for personal lending. And the BRR really is a probability that the person who is borrowing the money is going to default in the next 12 months. So it's a measure of the likelihood of default. And you score from one to seven. And one is the best possible rating you can get and seven is the worst possible rating you can get. So picture this scenario. There's someone named Michael and Michael wants to buy a car. And he goes to the bank and the credit officer asks him a series of questions. You know, the typical questions, are you working? Where are you working? How long have you been working? How much do you earn? What are your expenses? Show me a print of your bank account so I can see how much you save. Do you have any other loans? How much are you paying on those loans? And by the time this credit officer is done with, with poor uh, Michael, the DRM, the debt rating model, generates a BRR, a borrower's rating of six. So that's an automatic disqualification. In banking, you don't, you don't need to submit that application to your supervisor because that's an automatic disqualification for a first-time borrower. And so Michael leaves the bank dejected and he goes home and he's sharing his experience with Auntie Ava. And Michael says to Auntie, you know, boy, I really wanted to borrow this money to buy the car. And his aunt says to him that, you know, Michael, I will help you. And little did Michael know that Auntie Ava has a lot of cash sitting in the bank. And so she says, I will cash secure the loan for you. So go back to the bank. And so Michael is happy and he goes back to the bank the next day. And the credit officer kind of, you know, puff at him because she already decided in her mind that if you don't qualify for the loan, so what am I doing back here? And anyway, she indulged him and she, you know, said, okay, come, we, we can talk. So Michael starts to tell her now about Auntie Eva. And Michael says to her, you know, Auntie Eva is going to cash secure the loan. And all of a sudden, the credit officer's countenance changed and her disposition changed because now she's interested because she's going to have cash security. And so remember, yesterday, Michael's Boris rating was a six. But because of the cash security, the rating goes immediately from a six to a one because nothing is better than cash. 
So who are you in this scenario? Are you Michael, the borrower who needs a car but you cannot afford it? In other words, are you a sinner in need of salvation but you cannot earn it? But you have a rich aunt who loves you so much that she says, I will cash the for this loan for you. Or in other words, you have a heavenly father that loves you so much that he says that I have sent my son to die for you. Romans 5, 16 to 17 says, but there's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. So the Lord is saying to you this morning, if you're listening, that his saving grace is available to you. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. You can't pay for it. But he loves you so much that he's given it to you free. So will you accept it? Will you accept God's saving grace? You may not be Michael in the scenario. You may be the credit officer. You were once in Michael's shoes, but you feel like you have arrived. You're better than him. You can judge him. So when Michael comes to you, the DRM in your head goes off. You turn on the computer in your head. But this time, instead of a debt rating model, you, you now use a sin rating model, a SRM. And instead of the debt rating model generating a borrower's rating, your sin risk rating model is now generating a sin risk rating. And so you're sitting down in front of Michael and you're working things out in your head. So you say to Michael, do you have children? Yes, miss. So, okay, are you married? No, miss. Remember the best rating is a one, the worst rating is a seven. So after that question, you write down on your paper and you write two. Michael's sin risk rating is now at two. You ask him, how many children? Three, miss. It's like, oh, wow. So the sin risk rating gone to three. How many mothers, Michael? Three, miss. Lord have mercy. No sin risk rating gone to four. And you continue and you interrogate Michael. And then a co-worker walks in. Your co-worker says to you, hi. And he's a polite gentleman. So he says hi to Michael. And Michael turns to your co-worker and he says, hey. And he gives him the, you know, the eyebrow. And so automatically you think, oh, mm, mm, it's kind of funny. And so your sin risk rating has now gone from a five, from a four rather, to a seven. The computer in your head starts going haywire. And you now automatically disqualify Michael. Because your SRR determines that he doesn't qualify. And then your boss walks into the room and your boss is God. And you say, no, 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 Lord, I have this under control. No, man. I've already told Michael that he doesn't qualify. I've already judged him. I've already assessed him. And he does not qualify for your saving grace. You have unilaterally determined that Michael does not qualify for God's grace. Instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to draw Michael to him, to Christ, and bring godly conviction, you have now come with condemnation. And your work day ends and you go home and you feel self-righteous, you feel justified. Why? Because you're not as bad as Michael. And you're even presumptuous enough to say 
there go I but for the grace of God. We love to say that, oh, there go I but for the grace of God. And nothing is wrong with that. But what is your true motivation when you say that? Mm-hmm. Are you really recognizing God's grace for what it is? His saving grace for what it is? Or are you using religious speech to cloak judgment? Grace can never be earned. Second Timothy 1.9 says, He saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. If you're Michael, understand and embrace God's gift of saving grace. And if you're the credit officer, stop treating people as if they have to work for God's grace. Romans 4, 1 to 5, and I love the message translation. It reads, so how do we fit what we know about Abraham, our first father in the faith, into this new way of looking at things? If Abraham, by what he did for God, got God to approve him, he could certainly have taken credit for it. But the story we're given is a God story, not an Abraham story. What we read in scripture is this. Abraham entered into what God was doing for him, and that was the turning point. He trusted God to set him right instead of trying to be right on his own. If you're a hard worker and you do a good job, you deserve your pay. We don't call your wages a gift. But if you see that the job is too big for you, that it's something only God can do, and you trust him to do it, you could never do it for yourself, no matter how hard and long you work. Well, that trust in him to do it is what gets you set right with God. Love that translation. Romans 11.6 puts it like this. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on work. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. And I'm going to put it like this. If it's free, then it's not earned. And if it's earned, it cannot be free. So both are saying free is not free if you have to earn it. And in other words, grace is not grace if you have to work for it. So let us all learn to embrace God's saving grace. And we're going to get real this morning. We're going to get practical. So I'm going to ask you, if there are children around, just ask them to leave the room because we're going to have some real talk this morning. So my second point on the C of grace is the E, enduring grace. And I'm going to read Ephesians 4, 7. But to each of you, sorry, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. We don't have to work for it. We don't have to work to keep God's grace. And there's some people this morning who are serving God out of fear. And you behave as if you have an adopted father who's going to give you back if you misbehave. But I'm here to tell us, tell you this morning that God loves you too much to require obedience out of fear. What he wants is for you to fall in love with him. And the love that we have for God will be our motivation to obey him. But the thing about it is this. If you're not in a love relationship with God, we have a tendency to abuse grace. And grace becomes a get-out-of-jail-free card. 
It's a trump card that we keep in our box, back pocket to erase our sin. And so you may struggle with alcohol or alcoholism, and you say, boy, I'm just going to have one more drink. And you plan to have that drink. You may be working on a job, and you have vacation days, you have sick days, and you need some time tomorrow to do something. But you don't want to use your vacation days. So you plan to call in life. A calling tomorrow and tell a lie that you're sick. You plan to tell a lie. Or you may be running a business and you pad your invoices or you accept a bribe. All of these things you know in advance that you're going to do, but guess what? No matter, the trump card is in your back pocket. Grace, you can always go back to the Lord and say, Lord, have, have mercy. Apply your grace. Or you may be married and you're having an affair. And you book the hotel, you drive to meet the person, you check in, you open the door, you have an intricate plan to commit adultery. You're making an appointment with sin. And again, you have the trump card in your back pocket. Grace. Every step of the way, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and saying, no, don't do that, don't make that call, don't go there. Don't go here. Don't meet him. Don't, 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 don't let him come into your house. Don't allow her to come into your house. Don't go to that place alone. All along, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. But no, man, you have the trump card in your back pocket. Grace. Enduring grace. Because you can ask God one more time to forgive you. Or you may be single. And your hormones are raging. So you plan to meet up with that man or that woman. You make an appointment with sin. And your excuse is grace. Or a different scenario. You may be single. And you just want some gratification. So you plan to masturbate. You plan to watch porn. And you watch what you're not supposed to watch. You feed that sensation. You feed that urge. And that is my story this morning. For a long time, I struggled with that. Porn and, and, and masturbation. And Saturday night, I would indulge. And Sunday morning, I'm in church. And for that period of my life, every altar call carrying was there. Tears running down, Lord, forgive me. And all I'm thinking is I have the trump card in my back pocket. Grace. But I was abusing grace. I was saved. So my issue wasn't saving grace. I was already saved. But my issue was enduring grace, sustaining grace. And I was abusing that. Enduring grace is not a trump card. When you have a relationship with God, you will not abuse grace. Grace is there to help us to change. It's not an excuse to flaunt sin. We don't flaunt sin in the face of grace. If you do that, you don't know what grace is. Grace is not a license to sin. Grace is available for us to deal with the sin that we already have. That is enduring grace. That is sustaining grace. John 1.17 says, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So that is saying that grace comes through Jesus. Grace is Jesus personified. So my message to you this morning, this is what I want you to get this morning. 
when you have a relationship with the person of Jesus, who is the embodiment of grace, then you won't want to abuse grace. It becomes easier to walk in enduring grace without abusing it. And think of a marriage. You have, you're in a loving marriage. You're in a committed marriage. You want to please each other. And the more in love you are with the person, is the more you want to please that person. You don't say, oh, I know my husband loves me. I know my wife loves me. So it's an excuse for me to have an affair. That's illogical. It may happen, but your desire is restoration because of the foundation of your relationship. It's not to go out and keep doing it and doing it and doing it. It's not to abuse your partner and keep cheating. Love fosters a desire to honor your partner. And likewise, if we use grace as an excuse to sin, we have not truly experienced grace in the person of Jesus Christ. When you spend time with him, when you look lovingly into his eyes, when you snuggle up with him, when you talk to him, when you're cooking, when you're driving, when you laugh with him over a joke, when you sing love songs to him, when you go to bed with him on your mind, when you wake up with him on your mind, then you appreciate and you cherish his enduring grace. So grace no longer motivates you to sin. It motivates you to righteousness. And it is in righteousness that we begin to do what is right in the sight of God. Grace fuels the desire to be more like Jesus. It doesn't give us an excuse to sin against God. When we embrace and understand enduring grace, you don't abuse it. You don't misuse it. You don't make an appointment with sin. You recognize your frailty. You recognize your weaknesses. And you commit them to God and you ask him to help you. You embrace his enduring grace and you press on, not walking in condemnation. That is the true meaning of enduring grace. When you have a relationship with grace in the person of Jesus, you not only desire change and growth, but you fall in love with him so deeply that that change and growth begins to strengthen you along the way. And Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 8 to 9 says it like this. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Yes, we're human. Yes, we will struggle with weakness. But God's enduring grace is available to us. The supply is inexhaustible. The source cannot dry up. So no matter how bad your weakness is, there is grace upon grace. And I struggled with sharing what I shared this morning, just now, because of fear of judgment, because of shame. And I tried to remember, who did I invite again? Because I didn't know this was the direction the Lord was going. All of last week when I was preparing, it was not until Thursday, I realized this was the direction the Lord was going, but I already sent out the invitation. And so I started wondering, who did I send it to again? And then I went on WhatsApp and I called over 20 people. And I said, Lord, have mercy. But I'm sharing because I know I'm under grace. And the enemy will want to bring shame and condemnation to you. No shame, no shame, no shame. But I am saying to you this morning, I know the Lord has made me share this because somebody needs to hear it. You two are struggling with something. It may not be what I shared, 
And you too may be taking enduring grace for granted. And you have it in your back pocket as a trump card, a get out of jail free card. But I'm here to tell you and encourage you to ask God to empower you by his sustaining grace. Willpower will not do it. Willpower didn't do it for me. It was grace. Titus 2 verses 11 to 12 says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worthy passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So the Bible promises us that grace will teach us to say no. And also make a note of Hebrews 4, 16 and Romans 6, 14. What are those? But when you develop a relationship with Jesus, when you fall in love with him, when you're in love with grace, it empowers you to do what willpower cannot do. And I now love God so much that my desire is to please him. And you know what? For years, this, this, this struggle that I had was many years ago. And for years after, I begged the Lord, Lord, let me forget this site. Because there was a particular site I went to. And to this day, I can tell you what the site is. And I couldn't understand why the Lord would not make me forget the site. But as I was preparing on Thursday, this is what the Lord said to me. He said that I have not made you forget that site. Because you don't go there now because you forgot it. You don't go there now because of grace. You don't stay away because of fear. You stay away because you have fallen in love with the person of grace. That is the power of enduring grace. You may be listening and you can remember the dates that you had with sin. You remember the face of sin. You remember the smell of sin. You remember the feel of sin. You remember the time. You remember the place. But because of enduring grace, you're not tempted because you have a relationship with grace in the person of Jesus. Or you may be listening now and you don't know Jesus for yourself and you fear failure. You fear committing your life to God because of your weakness. But I'm here this morning to tell you that grace is sufficient. Enduring grace is sufficient. When you fall in love with Jesus, what appeals to you before loses its appeal. I can guarantee you that. You will see the person who you had that affair with and you will wonder, what did I see in them? You smell alcohol and it sickens you. Your default will no longer be to, to, to lie, to get a day off. Your default will be to be honest. Your default will no longer be to accept a bribe if you're in business. Your default will be to be honest. And whichever of these two categories you fall into, my question to you this morning is, will you accept God's gift of his enduring grace? John 1, 16 says, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. Listen to that. We have all received grace in place of grace already given. And the Tony Evans Studied Bible, the commentary sums it up like this. This is a commentary for grace upon grace. The law was given through Moses, and that was a good gift. And it showed God's righteous character towards Israel. But the law could not enable the people to keep it. The law highlighted their sin, but it could not transform their sinful hearts. 
but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In other words, when we receive salvation, grace does what the law could not do. Through Jesus, we have access to undeserved, unearned, unmerited, unlimited grace. God, God provides us with a never-ending supply of grace. Grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. It's like waves crashing on the seashore. And in the context of the sea of grace, picture this. You sin, and the footprints of your sin are in the sand. But a wave comes in and it washes those footprints away. That's grace. And you get up and you keep going, but you stumble again. And you make some more footprints. And another wave comes in and it washes it away. That's grace. And you continue to press towards the mark of the higher calling because you now have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You stumble, but a bigger wave comes in and it washes the footprints away. Enduring grace upon enduring grace upon enduring grace upon enduring grace. Never ending supply. And that experience of God and God's enduring grace brings about a change in our hearts. So let us embrace God's enduring grace. And what I shared, my, 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 my personal story this morning, so personal, so private, so intimate, was a true test of whether I really believe what I'm sharing to you this morning. Was I willing to share openly, recognizing that I am under enduring grace? That was the question I had to answer. And God was testing me. Enduring grace covers judgment. Enduring grace erases fear. Enduring grace erases shame. Enduring grace replaces self-condemnation with a recognition of your identity in Christ. In other words, the Lord was saying, Karen, are you willing to apply the grace that you have experienced to yourself? That was the question. And so that brings me to my final point as I close. And that's the A in the sea of grace, which is applied grace. Second Corinthians 8 to 7 reads, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you also excel in this act of grace. Simply, that means apply grace to yourself and others. And especially those of us who know Christ, we already have a relationship with him. Everything that we have, that he has, is ours. The table is spread before us daily. But we see our brothers and sisters stumbling. We see them strain. We see them, we see them going afar off. We see them engaged in sin. What I'm saying to you this morning is don't judge. Don't be the prodigal brother. It's not up to you to determine the portion of grace that God, God gives to them. Remember his word says that he will leave the 99 for the one. And he wants to go after that one lost sheep. So apply the grace that you have experienced. Apply the grace that you have been given. Stop being judgmental. Stop being critical. Stop ranking sin. 
team has no rating model. Delete the SRM, the sin risk rating model that you have in your head. Delete the sin risk ratings that you have applied to others. I have been there. I know of a young lady years ago who struggled with fornication. And she was on the choir at church. She was in the man's bed Saturday night and she was on the choir Sunday morning. And I knew it. And I judged her. I condemned her. But what gave me the right to think that my sin was any less than hers? I'm not saying I condone sin. I'm not saying we should condone sin. But I'm saying we should show grace, apply grace, guide, counsel, encourage, support. Don't judge. Many of us have adopted the title of Holy Spirit Junior. So instead of the Holy, allowing the Holy Spirit to do what he's supposed to do, we become Holy Spirit Junior. So no, no, Lord, I got this, I got this. Let us go a deep pole and drop the title of Holy Spirit Junior. That's not our name. Let's drop that name. Let people see God in you so they fall in love with the God in you. Let them want to have what they see in you. And they will do that if you practice applied grace. And so as I prepared for you to listen and, and watch this video, I'm encouraging you not to log off, but give me another 10 minutes to listen and watch as we go through this. And as you listen and watch, I want you to put yourself in the video and I want you to contemplate what is being said in this video. Go ahead Pastor. I invite you to put yourself in this picture. You have built a fort in your life dug a trench, a moat around your life. Try to fill the moat with deeds, believing the lie that you have to work for grace, have to earn grace. But encouraging you today to be washed in the waters of the sea of grace. Allow the waves to wash away the lies of the enemy. Embrace the waves of grace. It is free. It is unlimited. It is yours to receive. Will you? Yes. Yes. Let it flood you. Don't resist. That's it. Yes. Be washed in God's grace. Receive his grace. Let the waters of grace tear down the castles you have built. Tear down self-condemnation. Tear down fear. Tear down the sin-rating model you have created. Tear down the sin risk ratings you have assigned to others. Will you be washed in his grace?
He is a gentleman. He won't force you, but he is inviting you to be washed in the waters of his sea of grace, his saving grace, his enduring grace. And when you experience these, he is saying, my child, you must now apply grace. Apply grace to your friends. Apply grace to your family. Apply grace to those who you previously thought were unworthy of it. Do not hear this word and leave the same. Be washed in the waters of grace. As you listen and watch the video, the rest of the video, I'm going to ask you to seriously contemplate the words this morning. Not my words, I believe the words came directly from God this morning. And I want you to figure out, to consider, where do you fall? What role are you playing in all of this? Are you unsaved and you need to accept God's saving grace? Or are you saved, but you need to walk in his enduring grace, not abusing it, but embracing it and growing through it? Are you wondering who is going to judge you? Who is going to condemn you? Or are you walking in self-condemnation? You know, I shared with you that last week, Thursday, when I realized that this was the direction the Lord was going, I started to think who I had invited. And then I remember that I forgot to send the password for persons to log on, and I felt a sense of relief. Like, okay, well, at least I invited them, but then I have the password, so they won't come on. And then the Lord started speaking to me again, really, Karen? And so I had to humble myself and send out the password. So the password went out from the Thursday or Friday because that was the truth of whether I was walking in enduring grace. So what is your issue this morning that you're struggling with that is going to test whether you're walking in true enduring grace? Are you one with a sinner's rating for other people? You generate that with your sin-making model. So as you watch the rest of this and listen to the song that is about to play, put yourself in the picture and allow the Lord to speak to you. Open yourself as the Holy Spirit speaks to you now as you watch and listen. Watches over me, you are for me. Grace loved me, and it's not what I deserved, and nothing that I've earned, but daily. 
for your 